0: Welcome to the Burn Your Mortgage Podcast, a Canadian real estate podcast that shows you how to pay off your mortgage sooner and live well while doing it. Now, here's your host, Sean Cooper. Welcome to the Burn Your Mortgage Podcast. I'm Sean Cooper, and it's great to be back for another episode. On today's show, I'll be talking to Shannon Lee Simmons. Shannon Lee Simmons is an award-winning certified financial planner, CFP, speaker, best-selling author, chartered investment manager, and founder of the New School of Finance. She is a personal finance writer for The Globe and Mail, as well as CBC Radio's Metro Morning Money columnist, and was a financial expert on The Marilyn Dennis Show. Shannon's latest book, No Regret Decisions, is a decision crisis playbook that will help you to make sound choices when the emotional and financial stakes are high. From the initial shock of panic mode to the insecurity of the messy middle, and finally the acceptance of your new normal, Shannon Lee Simmons will teach you how to approach your decision crisis methodically step by step. In my interview with Shannon, we discuss creating a budget that works, the Beyonce factor, saving money with the rising cost of living, and making no regret financial decisions, including buying a home. Without further ado, here's my interview with Shannon Lee Simmons. Hi, Shannon. How are you doing today?
1: I'm good. I'm good. It's so great to chat. It's been a while.
0: Yes, it's great to chat with you as well. Yes, I haven't getting out as much as I used to. We're just getting back in the swing of things after COVID there. But yes, it seems like you've been busy with a lot of things, including your fourth book coming out here. So yes, excited to chat with you today about all of your wonderful three books or three babies or however you want to <laughs> call them there. And yeah, share some helpful tips and advice on budgeting, personal finance, as well as home ownership.
1: Awesome.
0: Okay, great. So Let's get started first on the topic of saving money and budgeting. I mean, I'm sure you hear this from all of your clients that you work with. That it's just so challenging these days with the rising cost of living. I mean, before we started recording the podcast here, I heard about the city of Toronto proposing to raise the property tax by 10.5 percent there for people who are already property owners. But yeah, it just seems like everything's going up. The price of gas the price of food and people's wages aren't keeping up these days here so yeah what are you telling your clients these days what tips and advice are are you giving to people so that they can still save money towards important goals whether it's upsizing to the next property or eventually buying their first property there
1: yeah i think i would also add in or paying down a big mortgage I, that's a big one that's coming up for me a lot. Are people caught in the interest rates rising, you know, locked into variable a few years ago and now it's seemingly like with the cost of living it seems really tight. There's so many factors at play. so with the rise of interest rates, other consumer debts lines of credit or even your mortgage might have skyrocketed and then also cost of food, cost of like just day-to-day expenses has also gone up with inflation. And then also homeownership is becoming more and more expensive. So I think that number one, it's happening across the board, whether you're a renter, whether you're a homeowner, and regardless of what your goals are, I think Canadians in general are struggling with the cost of living. Like I say this all the time, the same lifestyle that you might've had two years ago is now just like hundreds and hundreds of dollars more expensive. And like, you may not have changed anything about the way you live. And so that's really tough. So savings is difficult. So the first thing that I always say to everyone is, let's just make sure we're not going into debt. And I know that that sounds like it's not a savings goal, but right now, with the cost of living so high and interest rates as high as they are, rather, for some people, they're just breaking even. And so what I've seen a lot of is people putting money into RSPs and socking money away with automatic savings and then taking on really expensive credit card debt. So the first thing I'm like, let's just make sure that the household can break even first and not slide into more debt. So reducing expenses where we can to make room for the more expensive costs right now. And the best way to do that, and I talked about this in my first book, Worry-Free Money, is this thing that I call like happy spending or emotional return on investment. So really going through all of your expenses when you have to reduce and isolating the ones that would be the happiest spending, right? The highest emotional return on investment for you. And then isolating the ones that are maybe lower. So that's different for everyone. Like maybe for you, you would be like, oh, I've wasted money on a takeout coffee. That's, you know, I would give that a one out of a five or something like that. It's a low emotional return. Whereas maybe for me, I love going to get a coffee. And so it's a five out of five. So should we both cut coffee or just you, right? Like, do you know what I mean? Like there's a difference for everyone. So- You have to reduce expenses. Try to do it with things that are bugging you, that you feel resentful of, that you feel guilty about later, that are really not sparking any sort of joy in your life. And then not just doing the thing that we all do, which is just blaming and shaming ourselves into cutting things like, well, I'll never eat takeout again. I'll never get coffee again. I should never, I won't buy clothes. These are the ones I typically see people try to reduce. But what happens if those are your most? enjoyable pleasures. You just basically assigned yourself a life where you don't get any pleasure from the money that you are allowed to spend. So I really feel strongly about reducing on purpose and specifically for you, not what somebody else says is bad expense and trying to make room that way and then trying to build up some emergency savings. But you're right, Sean, it's really tough. It's really, really tough out there.
0: No, thanks for your perspective. And it sounds like maybe you're not a big fan of like the latte factor out there because kind of seems like budgeting is a lot like dieting, like if you go from one extreme to the other, you're just kind of setting yourself up to to fail. So I I definitely like your approach where you're taking more of a balanced approach, and you're spending your money in a meaningful way for the things that you truly enjoy, rather than just cutting them, them out just for the sake of saving money, and then just being miserable and setting yourself up to fail there. So yeah, I really like that rather than just the blanket like latte factor where, oh, take out coffee is terrible for everyone. You know, we should feel bad about doing that there. I mean, everybody has preferences when it comes to spending. So just spending your money for the things that give you the most joy. Definitely. I like that approach there.
1: Well, I think you just nailed it. What I've learned over my 17 plus years on the front line of financial planning is that if you have a financial plan that you're not excited about, you're not going to do it straight up, you're going to fail at some point, right? So it's so punishing. So I think that by doing it for your preferences, and not just what is sort of a blanket place to cut, is making sure that it's like custom to what you want, and where you get joy, because we all work really hard. And there's not a lot of money left over for spending on things that make us happy. And so let's make sure that we're trying to get some joy out of every dollar that we can, right? Like, especially as the cost of bills have gone up. So that doesn't feel good. It's expenses that have gone up that we don't get any sort of like emotional return from at all. So we have to make sure we get it where we can.
0: Very well said. And maybe I'd put myself at two or three on the coffee scale there. I think you're (laughs) being a bit too strict with me there. But nevertheless, (laughs) I'm just kidding there. But yeah, on the topic of saving money and spending and all that, I mean, I'm sure you're aware of the trend that we're going like further towards a cashless society. And it's so easy to spend money these days. It's as simple as like we back in the day, there were charge X where we had to fully pay them off. But definitely that's many decades ago. Nowadays, it's as simple as just tapping your smartphone to to spend money. So it seems like the the credit card companies and banks have made it easier to to spend money and you go on social media and you see everyone else enjoying your money and you're tempted to do the same. So what general advice and tips do you have for people to keep their spending under control when it seems like every service wants an extra $10 a month? I mean, you could sign up for, for like, Only try to limit yourself to one or two streaming services, but before you know know it, you're at five or six these days. So what advice do you have for people who are finding it difficult to be financially disciplined with all the temptation to spend and how easy it is these days?
1: Yeah, that's interesting. I think the temptation to spend and the ease is the terrible like combo. I even feel it myself. I have done this myself and I've recommended it to a lot of clients and it's been really impactful. It's hard though. So brace yourself, everybody. Like you take your credit card information out of your phone. So you don't have like Apple pay. You don't have that stuff. Use it. Like, you know how, like there's all these apps now too, on online shopping where it's like, it saved your information. Like even on yes. Amazon, you just like, you just click a button. It makes things really difficult and inconvenient to shop. and it's funny that I say inconvenient, because it just means walking over getting your credit card coming back and entering it manually. Like that shouldn't be inconvenient. But compared to what we can do these days, it is. And so even having that moment where it's like, Oh, I have to just like go get my wallet. I don't think I wanted that. bad. like, that's things that people have said to me before, like, I didn't even want it. Th- I would have bought it if it was easy. But because I had to get up and go get my purse from downstairs, and then I realized I didn't even really want this thing. It was just like a momentary thing. So making it harder for yourself to spend money is actually so good. (laughs) It's so important. So I'm not even saying don't. I'm just saying make it harder to do so you can't just do it on a whim. And the other thing too, like social media is detrimental in a couple ways. Number one, there's like that comparison factor, which makes it feel like you're constantly, we feel deprived more often than we actually are because we, our brain isn't like equipped to handle how many people's lives we're keeping tabs of. And so when it's normal to like compare yourself to your peers, that's like a human evolution thing. But then now our peers are like 250 people doing a highlight reel. And it's like, so it's not normal. We're not like equipped. And so I think it leads us to feel broke more often than not. And so when we feel broke, we have this tendency to be like, oh, screw it. I'll just, whatever. There's no point in trying. I'm just going to buy it. You know, I don't want to get left out or behind or I don't want to not fit in and all that kind of stuff. And then also the ads. Oh my gosh, like on Instagram, the sh- the ads for buying stuff. And you can like flip through a story, buy something within 30 seconds. Like it's that easy because your phone is stored your preferences. The algorithm is like predatory for you.
0: Yeah, they target the ad specifically towards you yeah, based on it, what you're looking at.
1: It loves, it knows everything about you. And it knows exactly what you want when you want it. And then it's like, here it is. And then all you have to do is say shop, buy, and then press a button. And it's done. So, if you're having like a low moment or a weak moment, like you used to have to go to the mall to like emotionally spend money and that happened. But now you can do it in these microtransactions without even being mindful at all. And I have seen the difference in the last 10 years from that being like introduced as a normalcy on smartphones than before when people used to have to go and have a shopping binge like at a mall, like at a store. Because also, if you're thinking about it, if you're physically in a mall, you have to carry the stuff you're binge shopping on. At some point, you're not gonna be able to carry it all. Do you know what I mean? So like you're gonna go home and there's like a physical end to it. Whereas like at home, at home <laughs> right? I mean it's honestly it's that's real though. Whereas like online you can do like fifty bucks here, twenty bucks here, eighty bucks tomorrow, like It doesn't feel like a binge shop. It feels like small microtransactions daily. And that's what I've really noticed the trend being. So making it harder for yourself. I've even had to do it myself. And I'm like a person who knows lots about money, but it's just too easy to do it.
0: That's great advice. And yeah, like it's so easy to spend these days, even apps, like they're trying to get you to buy, like whether it's games, they're looking for you to basically spend money everywhere. It's hard to get a break from spending anywhere these days. And yeah, that's definitely a great tip about not saving the the credit card information on the, the phone just to make it that much harder for you. Because even from personal experience, I've used that myself. And yes, yeah, just sometimes I'm like, do I really need it? Like, I'm just kind of too lazy to get up and get the credit card. So I can really say from firsthand experience that works there. So
1: It does. It sounds silly, but it's like impactful to not be so easy to do it.
0: Yeah, everyone's more financially Some people are more financially disciplined than others for people who are more financially disciplined, like that may work. But if you're struggling with your spending and buying stuff that you truly don't need there, then yes, I definitely think that strategy works there. And yeah, just kind of I'm not the biggest fan of things like Amazon Prime and Costco memberships. I mean, yeah, you can't save money, but it just seems like those things can kind of pressure you to spend more money. So yeah, just doing things to work against that so that you don't end up with a mountain of debt. I definitely think helps a lot, especially with the higher interest rates these days.
1: Yeah. And something I also talk about this in Living Debt Free is like finding your trigger spending places. So a lot of times we try to think of what we're spending too much on. But instead of that, I actually have found it really impactful to find out when am I overspending. So not really about what it's on, but more about when am I doing it. So I have clients like print off, you know, three print off, like actually old school, or like download into Excel, really, (laughs) like three to four months of, you know, credit card history, and then highlight the transactions that they don't remember, that they regret. And then finding this if there's a trend or a similarity between all the highlighted transactions. So like, where were you? What is this on? What do you think? what was going through what was the emotional vibe you were like feeling at the time was it celebratory because like some people are emotional spenders with good things right like oh this really good thing happened today I'm gonna like I deserve a present for myself like that kind of thing or sometimes it's like you're bummed out and you make emotional decisions that way or sometimes you're feeling really inadequate like I had somebody who was just divorced and she was starting to date again and she just didn't feel good and so she was like shopping, 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 buying like new clothes, new this, new this. And a lot of it was just like her own insecurity, right? And to a degree, I'm like here for it. And then it's like, but it reached into a point where instead of making her feel good, it actually started making her feel worse, because now she felt out of control, right? So it's like, what are the emotions underneath those highlighted transactions? And something else, not only the emotions, but like, also, where are you? I had another client who would, (laughs) this is so funny, but like, she realized that a lot of the transactions that she were like, Quick, fast, little bit of regret, like could have done without. She, this is funny, Sean, but like she was in the washroom, so she was like on her phone in the washroom and on social media and like buying stuff. And she's like, "Oh my god!" So she stopped bringing her phone in the washroom and like her literal spending the money. Isn't that funny? But wow. like because she was like, it was the only time I got to like think and myself. I, like follow, like I know it sounds funny, but like it's like those simple things. So, like where are you? What's going on when you're doing it? And is there a trend in those triggers? I have found, like I said, like when I'm talking about debt and living debt-free, like that has been very impactful for people to like get in the way of their own trigger points, so to speak.
0: No, thanks for sharing the story there and we'll leave the client's name out there just for
1: oh yeah, 100%. <laughs> privacy
0: reasons. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, just as simple as before making a bigger purchase, just going for a walk and clearing your mind, I find. Is helpful because, yeah, you could just kind of feel pressured in the moment there, just taking 24 hours to think about it. Stuff like that has happened, has worked for me as well. So, yeah, thanks so much for sharing those tips and advice there. And yes, I just want to finish off the conversation by talking about your third book here. I mean, feel free to yeah. mention your fourth book or fourth baby, whatever you want to call it. But yeah, I just wanted to talk about your third book, No Regret decisions as well as in the context of home ownership there like when it comes to buying your first house or upsizing to another house there so yeah maybe you could just talk a bit about your book and how it relates to home ownership and people yeah. looking to get in the market these days because yeah it certainly is a lot different when i bought my first house i mean i bought a house for for 425,000 and now the same house is worth a million in toronto here so yeah definitely home ownership has it's definitely possible, but it's more challenging than it was just a decade ago there. So yeah, maybe you could just talk a bit about there, that those yeah, topics. Absolutely.
1: Absolutely. So No Regret Decisions is a book that helps people it's at any sort of stage of it, I think, if you're talk- for talking through the lens of real estate. It's not a real estate book, but the book is a guidebook, like a playbook really, for making good decisions that have high emotional stakes and high financial stakes with a ton of uncertainty. So obviously buying your first house, this is a huge decision where the financial stakes are really high. The emotional stakes are really high. And like, you don't know how things are going to plan out. Like, how's your career going to go? Like, what happens if there's a divorce down the road? Like, can we really afford this? Like, that's a huge, huge decision that you don't want to have any regrets on, right? So if you're buying your first house, it would be applicable there, the playbook. The playbook can also be applied if you bought a house that you can't afford. Now you're like, you have that deep regret. Like, what do you do? Like deciding to even downsize, like, how does that happen? I'm covering that with a lot of people right now who maybe like bought a house that they can't really afford now that interest rates have gone up. So they're actually considering selling and should they do that? And they don't want to make a rational decision. So like making sure that you don't regret that decision of selling, right. And like freaking and panicking and selling. And then there's also like, if people are wanting to, if they're upsizing or renovating or anything like that, the playbook is there too. And basically what it's there, the playbook is there for it's sort of like personal crisis agnostic, it can be applied to anything. And in the book it is, it's applied to divorce or critical illness or fertility or buying a house or stock market volatility, but the rules of the game are the same. And through the lens of real estate, I would basically say you wanna make sure there's parts of that playbook that are really important. Number one, no matter what, whether you're buying your first home or you're in a home that you feel like you can't afford or you wanna upsize and you don't wanna bite off more than you can chew or you wanna do a renovation or whatever it is, You want to make sure you're not making a panicked or sort of, I don't like the word irrational, but like a reactionary decision. And so a panic decision, I'll give you a classic example, like pandemic hits. Everybody's like, oh my God, this is never ending. I'm going to buy a house I can't afford. I don't care just because I want to get out of the city and I want to live in the country. Right. And now they regret it because they're like, oh my gosh, why did I do that? Versus somebody who was like, never really happy here in the city and like really wanted to move away. And then the pandemic happened. They're like, you know what? This is a perfect time. And that person did the exact same thing, but they don't regret it. And that's because those two people made the decision for different reasons, right? One of them panicked and bought a house. The other one did it because they wanted to own a home. They didn't really like living in the city anyways. And this was sort of just like the catalyst. Their values were that they wanted to like live in the country. And so it really upheld those values. They could also really afford it. So now that interest rates have risen. They're not sitting here in a house that they can't afford. So just because both people bought a house at the same time, one person is stoked about it, even though their mortgage is up and it, things didn't work out exactly as they planned. And the other person is devastated and feels like they made a horrible choice. And so the difference between those two people is that one person made a panic decision. The book talks about how to like make sure you're not doing that. And then also walks through making sure that you're picking something that I call your deciding values, which is like, you know, when you make massive decisions, Like even whether to retire or quit your job and start a business or like, do we want to have a kid or any of those big life choices? You're going to have to like prioritize your values, right? We have a million values, but for the decision that you're going to look back on and say, I don't regret that. You got to pick one and do it for the right reason. So it walks you through that. And then perhaps most importantly, and I think this, when it comes to personal finance and real estate, the book walks through these things I call pivot points and guardrails. So basically, these are points that you map out ahead of your decision that help you not regret them later. So we'll take buying a first house, for example. So let's say that you someone sits down with me and they're like, Shannon, we want to buy a house. I'm like, great, let's do it. And they run all the numbers. They're being pre-approved for a $600,000 mortgage and they've got a $200,000 down payment from an inheritance. Great. Here we are, $800,000 house. We run all the numbers and like between the two of them, they can afford it even at high interest rates. Cool, cool, cool. Then they go out shopping for a house. They realize that they can't find anything that they like for that price point. And they come back to me and they say, well, what happens if push it to $900,000? So our mortgage was 700,000 instead of 600,000. I crunch the numbers and I say, okay, well, if it goes to 700, you know, you're gonna have to take less vacations. And then they're like, okay, that's fine. We don't mind. We had a big vacation fund in there. We can do a little bit less. So that's a pivot point, Sean, because it's not a no. It just means you have to shift something else in your life in order to accommodate the cost of something else, right? Like the cost of this decision that you're making. So you're pivoting your plan to make room for it. So let's say that they go out, they're like, cool, 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 900,000. We know already that we're going to have to like shift things around if we want to do that. And then they're like, hey, Shannon, what happens if it was 950? And I run the numbers and I say, okay, well, it's 950. It's no vacations. Plus, you know, your kids extracurriculars are going to be a little bit threatened. there, like, or you're going to go into debt. Like one of those things like, okay, But like, we could do it. But like, I don't really know if I want to, because I don't want to go into debt. And I don't want to
0: deal with a cranky kid either.
1: (laughs) Yeah, I don't want my kids to not be able to go to hockey or swimming lessons or whatever. So like, okay, our limit is actually 900. So that 950 is an important guardrail. It's not imposed on them from somebody else. It's imposed on them because the pivot would be so big that they don't actually want it, right? Like, that's the point where they would consider themselves house poor, and so if you map out these things, you can apply that to any situation, right? Like where's the point along the way where I have to change my plans, but can still do it versus where's the point along the way where the change in my plans would be so drastic. It is not worth it to me and I don't want to do it. And so if we can map out those pivot points and guardrails before we buy real estate, before we sell real estate, before we upsize, before we renovate, then you feel really in control of like how to make decisions through that process, right? So while they're out looking at a house with a real estate agent, and the real estate agent's like, okay, this one's starting at 950, maybe 975. They already know, like, no. I know what that means for my life. I know that I don't want to do that. I know that that means giving up a lot of stuff and being house poor, and I'm not willing to do that versus sort of getting caught up, making a panic decision or emotional decision in the moment because we didn't have all that knowledge. So the book is basically a playbook for making good decisions in difficult times, right? Big stakes, high emotional stakes, high financial stakes. How do you make a decision that like 10 years from now, you look back and you're like, well, that was a good decision with a bad outcome, but I don't regret it. That's like the whole point. And I'm not saying real estate's about an outcome. I'm just saying like, no matter what happens, if it works out great, there's no point in worrying about it. But if it doesn't work out, how would you look back and say, I still did the right thing? And that's what the book's all about.
0: Well, you've sold me on your book. I was looking in the personal finance section. We were just talking offline, but I was looking in the personal finance section of chapters that it go and I couldn't find it there, but you said you're branching out into a new genre of books. Where, where can people find that at the bookstore there?
1: So well, this one, it's not that I'm not still a personal finance nerd. I'll be one forever, but this one, because it's sort of dealing with decision crisis and like sort of going through people with like through a divorce and aging parents and caregiving and all these different fertility and all these things that happen in our life. It's sort of in the wellness or like self-help section of a bookstore instead of being like the nitty gritty financial stuff, because a lot of it is working through panic values, decision-making and the skill set like that versus like math and number crunching of the first two books.
0: Great. And I understand you're working on a fourth book as well. I mean, I'm not sure what you can say about it, but if you could just give us a quick preview of, of that as well. And when it's expected to hit bookstores.
1: Well, it's supposed to come out at the beginning of 2025, but I am not at liberty to say just yet exactly what it's about, but stay tuned is all I'll say. I'm very excited about it. It's different than anything I've ever done before. And I'm very, very, very pumped.
0: (laughs) Uh, You're a book writing machine, (laughs)
1: Shannon. Like I said, offline, like it fills my cup. I really love it. So it's fun for me, even though it's also painful. You know, the war of writing, it's like, ah, But, like, it's so deeply satisfying for me. I really love writing. So, it's really lovely and lucky to have that as an outlet.
0: Well, I really enjoyed your first two books there. And I'll be sure to check out this third one as well. So, yeah, thanks so much for taking some time to speak with me again today. It was a pleasure to have you on the podcast.
1: Well, thanks so much for having me. It's always, always a pleasure.
0: Thanks for listening to another episode of the Burn Your Mortgage Podcast. Besides being a podcast host, I'm also an independent mortgage broker. If you or anyone you know, family, friends, co-workers, or neighbors could ever use any unbiased mortgage advice or a second opinion, feel free to reach out. Email me at sean, that's S-E-A-N, at burnyourmortgage.ca or call or text me at six four seven eight six seven three seven one one for a free mortgage consultation. Also, be sure to head on over to www.BurnYourMortgage.ca and sign up for my free weekly newsletter. As a small token of my appreciation, you'll be able to download my Ultimate Mortgage Checklist on Choosing the Perfect Mortgage. I look forward to hearing from you and helping you with all your mortgage needs. Once again, thanks for listening. You've been listening to the Burn Your Mortgage Podcast. Don't forget to subscribe on iTunes and leave a rating. Until next time, happy mortgage burning!